Jesus, you are. You are worthy. We, us saying it, us singing it isn't enough. Uh, you are so worthy, Lord. We thank you for that. We thank you for your presence in this place right now. We, we open our hearts up to you, Lord. We want to hear from you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. Thank you, worship team. You guys are killing it today. Hi. Thank you. It's good to be back. Man, I forgot how to get here. I had to turn the GPS on. It was weird. So if this is your newer here, my name's Adam. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here. I've been uh, out for a minute. And so <laughs> me and actually me and Jonathan debated as to what we were going to call this. The classic thing would be that we'd call what I just did a sabbatical, but we thought it was kind of a weird word and maybe something that not a lot of people would be familiar with. So we actually invented a word to to describe what I just did. We literally invented it. We're going to call uh, Webster and see if they can add it. We called it a revance. A revance. Not a retreat, because we don't do that crap here. Um, <laughs> but there was a lot of rewords involved with what it was. So it was a recharge, a reflection. You know, we wanted to refresh. We wanted to, all these renewal, you know, all that stuff. But we also wanted the word advancing. So we revance. If you need any words made up, me and Jonathan will do it for a small fee. Um, anyways. <laughs> I uh, did a ton of reading this past month, and I had an idea of what I was trying to learn or get out of it or whatever you would want to call that. And um, I don't know if you've ever had a plan like that where you're like, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this, this, this. And then God just kind of comes in and just says, no, you're not going to do that. You're going to do this instead. And he just kind of took over. It was weird. So I read a bunch. Um, I watched a bunch of stuff, and the theme, God themed it. I didn't plan this. Um, was Moses. God just kept having Moses being like every book, every story, every article. And I'm like, what the heck? God, like, I'll just be honest. Moses is not like my favorite Bible character. He's like one of the most important, but he's never been on my list. But God really just kind of took my face and turned it towards him. And um, I feel like I got a lot out of it. So what I want to do is I wanted to bring it back and I kind of wanted to share some of the stuff with you. So uh, we're starting a series where we're going to look at Moses's life. Uh, today is called Divine Ambush. We're going to take a look at all these different things that Moses experienced. So if you don't know who Moses is, uh, he's one of the most important characters in the Bible. Leads the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He's the one God uses to kind of orchestrate the plagues on Egypt, parts the Red Sea, uh, gets the commandments from God, speaks to God like a friend, just an amazing, like monumental character, easily top five, top three character in the Bible, uh, most important um, but before we look at Moses, this is the other thing. So I've been, I don't know what your relationship with God is like. I'm, I'm like a three-year-old, like with God. I don't know how to, else to describe it. Like, I'm like, all right, God, I'm going to do this. And God's like, no, you're going to do this. I'm like, no, but I really wanted to do that. I had this plan. I was going to do this. And God's like, no, you're going to do this. So I kind of squirm and, and try to get away from him. And he pins me down and puts me back over here. So I wanted to start with Moses' story. I actually only wanted to zoom in on one part of Moses' story. But God backed me way up. And he actually is like, no, you need to do like a, a prequel before you even get to Moses. We got to talk about the person who, if she wasn't who she was supposed to be, and if she didn't do what she was supposed to do, Moses wouldn't even exist. So we're going to talk about Moses' mom today, Jacobed, or Yaakoved, if you want to do more the Hebrew version. Um, so here's my premise before we dive into her story. My premise is that you want to experience God moving in your life in some way. I, I, 
I'm just going to assume that. You should just, yes, nod your head. Yes, that is why I'm in church. Because that's why you're supposed to be in church. You want to experience God moving in your life. You want to see him move in your marriage in some way. You want to see God move in in your finances some way. You want to see God move in your career. You want to see God move um, in your family, in your relationships. You want to see God move maybe even like in your your purpose, in your mission, in, in the thing that he created you. You want to see God move. You want to experience that in your life. That's my premise. And maybe it's not, or may, well, maybe it is. May, maybe it's miraculous. Maybe you're, you really feel like you need to see God do something that's like breaks the natural laws of the universe that he wrote, by the way, because he can break them because he wrote them. Um, maybe you need that. Maybe you need a miracle in your life. Or maybe it's more low-key. Maybe it's not that big of a deal. Maybe you're just like, man, I need to know that God's with me. Or I need, to, I need you know, some doors kind of closing in my face. And I just need God to present some opportunities to me. But, but in some way, you want to experience God moving in your life. So I'm going to assume that and you're just going to have to go along with it because that's what we're going to do today. Yachbed experienced God moving in her life. She wanted it too. I think we can learn from her. So if you're wanting to experience a move of God, we get to see how God moved in her life, and it's really cool. So here's the scene in Yaakov's life. Um, The people of Israel are in slavery. Uh, Egypt has had Israel under their thumb for hundreds of years. To give you some context, Israel was in slavery in Egypt longer than the United States has existed. So it was a long time, long time. They've been in slavery. And um, even in, and it wasn't like a nice slavery, Keep that in mind. There were whips involved. It wasn't pleasant. Um, But in spite of that, uh, the people of Israel just kept growing. Their population just kept going up and up and up to the point that Pharaoh, leader of Egypt, got nervous and he makes this crazy, horrible, horrific law that every every male who's born uh, of the Israelites is going to be thrown into the Nile River. Just awful. Just, just awful. He wants to eliminate the next generation of men in Israel. So that's a little bit of the scene um, that Yaakovid walks onto in Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. About this time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. So it's such a cute little unassuming verse, right? Like they're just... Hey, they got married. Um, doesn't even name the couple. We know elsewhere that the, the groom's name is Amram and the bride's name is Yaakoved. This is Moses' parents. This is their little wedding verse. But this is verses, I, I just want to stop here for a minute. I'm like looking at that. Yeah, I could skip that. But man, there's more here than we realize. This is an impressive verse. Think about it. This na- their nation is in slavery. Um, it's not nice slavery. Their life is hard. They're, they're out there in the sweat and doing work for somebody else, not really getting paid fair wages. They don't have the kind of freedom that you would really want. This is a difficult life that they're in and they get married anyways. They choose to get married in less than ideal conditions. Can't you just imagine one of their stupid, obnoxious uncles being like, I wouldn't do that if I were you. You kids, you should wait, you know. You should wait till the deliverer comes, you know. Which would have been ironic advice, since, you know, they're going to have the deliverer. You know what I'm saying? So it would have been interesting uh, for them to wait for that, because God was going to use them getting married to actually provide that deliverer and get them out of slavery. But I just want to acknowledge, and I've done this before, but I think a lot of people have this like spiritual hesitancy, and I call it spiritual because they call it spiritual, even though I don't know if it's actually spiritual. And an inability to pull the trigger in their life. You aim and aim and aim and aim, and you never actually pull the trigger. Um, but I think I just want to speak to you if that's kind of you. To not make a decision is to make a decision sometimes. And I want to point this out. It's not more spiritual to go slow. Do you know that? 
It's not more spiritual growth. So I just get this impression. And maybe it's just me. Maybe it's my personality. I think a lot of people have this like, like idea that going slow is somehow more spiritual than going fast. But I don't know where that comes from because there's no verse in the Bible. I don't know if you know this. There's no verse in the Bible. If you're sitting there thinking, oh, you know, slow and steady wins the race. That's a children's story. That's not the Bible. Um, so I don't know where we get this, this feeling like, oh, we should go slow and like God's more in it. No, not necessarily. These two got married. And it wasn't a great situation they were got married in, but God was in it, and God was working. And I will also say this. If God nudges you to do something, going slow is definitely less spiritual. It's definitely less spiritual. So if God's nudging you and you go slow, that's, that's a mistake. So they get married. Amram and Jacobed, this get this slave wedding under the hot Egyptian sun, and they're married. Verse 2. The woman becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept it hidden for three months. So, all right, I, one of my favorite things to do with, with Bible stories is to really put yourself in this situation. She gets pregnant, all right? And for nine months, she's got this cloud hanging over her head. She's got this cloud hanging over her head of this law that says, if that's a boy, he's dead. Can you imagine being pregnant? So, so normal pregnancy is this exciting, you know, march towards this event and instead there's got to be this hesitancy this fear like 50 percent chance that this kid's born with a death sentence over him and then she goes into labor and she has to go through all that and she delivers and remember there's no there's no gender reveal parties back then there's no there's no ultrasound she has to wait until the baby's born to know boy girl so finally she delivers they hold the baby up and she sees boy can you imagine what that would be like Listen, I've been in some delivery rooms. They're emotional anyways. Like that would be crazy to know that, oh my, this precious little boy, he's going to die. They're going to kill him. So what a, what a crazy thing to experience. And then, so this verse is, I don't know if you saw this in the verse. Um, it's kind of a funny sentence. It says that she saw that he was a special baby. Um, other translations say that she saw that he was a beautiful baby. <laughs> so let's, parents, can we be real? All of us. 100% of us think our babies are cute. 100%. Every single person that holds their baby for the first time goes, that is a beautiful baby. But we also have to acknowledge that we're not all right. Right? Right? You, you know this. And I'm not talking about, listen, I think right now we have like 10 or 11 babies in the nursery. Um, that's a, it's pan, pandemic. We were bored. Um, so we have, we have a lot of babies in the nursery. Um, but, but you know, you've looked on Facebook, somebody posts a picture of their baby and it says most beautiful baby in the world. And you're like, that is not the adjective I would use to describe that baby. Right? That is a human baby, but I don't know about beautiful, right? So it's weird. I just thought it was weird that like the Bible kind of puts us in there like, hey, she saw that he was beautiful to which I want to say, well, no kidding. Every mom thinks their baby's beautiful. So I wanted to dig into it a little bit because that's just kind of stating the obvious. And a lot of scholars, it was kind of interesting. They said, no, actually, um, it's a little bit of an ambiguous statement. It could have just meant the physical, but a lot of people believe it was more of a spiritual thing. That God was kind of nudging her like, hey, it's not just that he's beautiful on the outside. It's that God's going to do something with him. That's why this translation says special. Like, hey, there's something going on here with this kid. Like, pay attention, Yaakov I'm going to do something here. So God kind of does something. He, he emboldens her a little bit. So then it says, and get this, the, the, listen to this, parents. Listen to this sentence. She kept him hidden for three months. That is like the most underrated miracle in the Bible, that she kept a, a, a newborn baby quiet for three months. They lived in little huts. They were interspersed with the Egyptians. Anybody at any time could have walked by and heard a baby crying and, and knocked on the door and said, hey, is that a girl, boy or a girl? So they kept a baby quiet for three months. That 
is a miracle, right? Jesus walking on water, the Red Sea parting, keeping an infant quiet for three months. I am impressed. Can you imagine? And again, you've got to put yourself into the story. Imagine what that would be like. It's already stressful. If you've had a newborn before, you already know. That is insane. It is, it is, you are in charge of another human. It's weird. It's, a, it's the most wild experience ever. On top of all that stress you already have. And there's a couple, you're fighting a lot. It's, it's, you're not sleeping a lot. It's bad. But can you imagine also the stress of knowing that if that baby cries too loud, that could be the end of the baby? Like that would be, there would be some crazy fights in the house, right? Amram comes home after a long day of making bricks and like closes the door too loud. Yachved like picks up a glass jar and throws it at him. Like, what are you doing, man? Like, it's, you, can't, you can't disturb this baby. Um, also, a little side note. Abraham, or, um, Abraham, Moses has two older siblings. So verses one and two kind of separate out a little bit. They, they zoom through the story. So they got married. He actually has an older sister named Miriam and an older brother named Aaron. Um, it's important later in the story that you know that. But I also thought, like, imagine trying to have two older siblings also be quiet so the baby doesn't cry. Like, you guys aren't living here for three months. Just go move out. You're not allowed to be here because we have to keep this baby quiet. We have to keep this baby hidden. And then also, on the more serious side, man, just think about Think about her prayers. Like all those, she, she, she had to, I just imagine she had to have slept with the baby because the moment he even stirs a little bit, she has to wake up. She has to feed him. She, she can't let him get to cry stage. She, he, if he stirs a little bit, she's got to be up. So just imagine a lot of nights where she's up, just her, the baby, and God. Can you imagine her prayers? Like, Lord, what are we going to do? Lord, please keep this baby supernaturally quiet. Lord, I, I, why did you let this happen? Lord, what, what is the end game here? How can I, what, what am I supposed to do going forward? I can't do this forever, God. Can you imagine those prayers? So something happens in those three months as Yaakovet is raising this little baby. She hatches a plan. She knows that operation keep the baby quiet will not last forever. And in verse three, we see what she's been thinking. Um, when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds, waterproofed it with tar and pitch, and she put the baby in a basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Uh, verse 4, the baby's sister then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. All right, so uh, I don't know about you, but I grew up in church, so this was one of those classic stories. You teach, like every age group learns this story. There's like a color, I can see in my mind a coloring page with little Miriam off on the side, some reeds, and little baby Moses floating along the Nile. Um, so the way it was taught to me, and I don't want to throw my Sunday school teachers under the bus, um, but the way it was always presented to me is that like Jacoved put this basket into the water and kind of like shoved it out into the current, which is terrifying. Um, and then God kind of just took this thing wherever God would take it. And God was the one who providentially made it land where it landed and, and did what he did. That's the way it was always presented to me. Again, I don't know, maybe I wasn't paying attention. Maybe I heard wrong, but that's always kind of the impression I got. But that's not what the story says. Did you see it said that she placed it among the reeds along the bank? She did not shove him out into the current and be like, all right, God, hopefully an alligator doesn't get him. Like, we just, it's going to be all right. Um, she placed him, placed him. So the more I read about this, there's more, more people who believe that she actually put him where she put him on purpose. That she didn't accidentally just close her eyes and say, God, take this. That she actually had a strategic plan of all. That she scouted the area out. That she knew where she was putting him and she knew why she was putting him there. So uh, we learn in the next verse kind of what her plan was. Verse 5, soon Pharaoh's daughter 
came down to bathe in the river. Her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket along the reed, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying. She felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children. So I believe that Yaakov knew the place where the princess would come to bathe. She knew this was a, a normal thing. She, was, uh, she had scouted it out and she knew that this princess was one of the only people in the area who had the power to save Moses' life. That she could spare him or not. She didn't want to risk putting him somewhere else where somebody didn't have the power to save him. She put him close to one of the only people who could make the decision. I think this is really important because we as Christians, we do live in a little bit of a tension sometimes, don't we? Between faith and planning. Do you ever feel that as a Christian? Where sometimes it feels like either I plan or I have faith and it almost feels like, I feel like I know a lot of Christians who feel like those two things are mutually exclusive. Either I will have faith or I will have a plan. I'm like not allowed to do both at the same time. And because we think that, I run into a lot of, and I've told you this before, I run into a lot of Carrie Underwood Christians, you know, the, the Jesus take the wheel Christians. And, and the impression I get is that they're like in the back seat of the car of their life and Jesus is supposedly at the steering wheel and they're sitting on their hands with the kind of the attitude like wherever you take me, do you take me? Like that's cool. And they make it seem like that's spiritual. And the rest of us who are a little bit more eager to put at least one hand on the wheel, <laughs> we have to be like, oh my gosh, they have so much faith. They just don't care what happens. Um, but I want to say, I don't know that that's super spiritual. And I don't know that that's the way God designed us to live, to just com be completely passive in what he's doing. I mean, if you don't have a job, yes, you should pray about that. But you should also like put some resumes out. You know that, right? Like it's not just sit at home. I'm waiting on God. Like your dream job, just kind of knock at the door. It's not. It's Amazon. It's not, it's not your dream job. <laughs> I want to get married someday. Yes. Okay. Pray about it. Pray. Pray that God will provide that woman for you. But boy, get up at the end of service and walk a couple rows over to that cute girl that you noticed earlier and actually start a conversation. Do both. Pray right now. Pray for a pickup line. Pray for a good one. Do it. I give you permission to not pay attention the rest of service to think that through. Maybe that's the thing God wants to do. Do not just pray about it. Do not just sit there. You, you need to move. I heard this quote the other day. Um, from a pastor named T.D. Jakes. Take that for what it's worth. I can eat the fish and leave the bones. Um, he said this, just because you aren't anointed, or just because you're anointed doesn't mean you won't have to pay your dues. Sorry, this is a double negative. Let me say it again. Just because you're anointed doesn't mean you won't have to pay your dues. I mean, I love that. Just because God's blessed you in your life doesn't mean you're not going to do something. Just because God has a plan doesn't mean you're not going to have to go through the process. You know that, right? Like that's a big deal because I think some people have this, this sense of destiny about them, which is good, but it's so far that they act like they're a passive agent in it that God will get me there when he gets me there. And I just want to say, man, no. God may have some really big plans for you in your life, but you're going to have to go through a process to get to that plan. And you're going to have to be an active agent in that, not passive active. Look at Yaakovin. She had a plan. She put that baby where she wanted him to. So she didn't, she didn't have blind faith. And at the same time, she didn't plan God out of the equation either, right? This act of placing this baby in these reeds, backing up and walking away, still required quite a bit of faith on her part. She did not know what that princess was going to do when she opened up that basket. That princess could have absolutely followed the law right then and there. She had to have faith that God was going to do something with this strategic plan. 
she took steps, she carefully planned, and she left the results in God's hands. That is the Christian way to live. Planning and praying going hand in hand. So, back to the story. The, the princess feels sorry for the baby. So you immediately get this impression that compassion has welled up inside of her. She knows the situation. She knows the law, but she's not going to do it. She is going to exercise her royal right and spare this child's life. Now, check this next part out. If you've not heard this story before, I am so excited to be able to share this with you. This is just crazy. This is crazy. Verse 7. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go find one of the Hebrew women to nurse this baby for you, she asked. So remember, Miriam, his older sister, is over here hiding in the bushes. A little creepy, but she's over there. And the princess finds this baby. And she's like waiting on a cue. Like, what's she going to do? What's she? Oh, it looks like she's going to keep him. So she knows now. Ooh, all right. Here I go. Like, cue, I'm on. She walks up and goes, hey, so... I might be able to like find somebody to watch this baby for you. I don't know. I have to work really hard, but I could maybe find a Hebrew who would want to nurse that little baby. Was it, man? He looks cute. You know, like she has to kind of play it cool here. And again, I just want to point out that sure, this kind of looks like a plan, doesn't it? This looks like it's on purpose. That Don't you just imagine Yaakoved and Miriam having a conversation like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put the baby here. You're going to hide over there. And when she opens the basket, and if it looks like it's going well, you're going to come out just at the right time. And Miriam, you know, all right, let's rehearse. What are you going to say? And they're going through it like, you can't act like you know the baby. You can't have any, you know, no spark of recognition. You really got to play it cool. Now, we're not lying, but we're not going to present the whole picture to the princess. Like, can't you just just imagine all this Yaakovet with this passion to save her child's life, puts this crazy plan together. Miriam walks out, princess holding her baby brother. She presents this idea and here's the moment, like, will it work? And look at what happens. Look, look at this ne these next two verses. Yes, do, exclamation point, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Listen to this, listen to this. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother, and I will pay you for your help. <laughs> so the woman took her baby home and nursed him. So if you're not following the story, the princess of Egypt just gave Moses back to Yaakov to nurse him and raise him, and now Egypt is going to fund the upbringing of this baby. How crazy is that? So just picture this. Imagine being able to go back in time like two months previous when Moses is like one month old and be able to walk up to Yaakov and maybe in the middle of the night when she's just her and the baby are awake and be like, hey, Yaakov, guess what? In two months' time, that nation that you're nervous about is going to try and kill him. That, that nation that, that you, you fear footsteps walking by your front door. You're, you're afraid of any knock on the front door. They're trying to kill your baby. In two months' time, they're going to pay for you to raise him. Can you imagine? She would have said, no way. That's not, that's not possible. They're, trying to, they're, they're out to kill him. But now they're paying for her to raise him because our God can do impossible things like it's nothing. And what I want you to see in your life, like what are you facing right now that's impossible? What are you facing right now that you just can't see a way out? Do you know our, our God can obtain the unobtainable? If you, if you have something you need, man, God can get it. He can. God can overcome the insurmountable. If you've got a mountain in front of you, God can move it. God can, can solve the unsolvable. If you've got an equation that won't balance in your life, God can balance it. God can open the inaccessible. If you've got doors slammed in your face, our God can open them. What are you facing right now that's impossible? 
Man, I wish Yaakved could come up here and she could just share the story. She'd share it better and tell you, no, 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 whatever you're facing, whatever impossible thing you think is standing in front of you, our God can flip it on its head in a moment. And it's even more spectacular because all she probably was praying is, Lord, just let him live. She pro- I don't know that she was also praying that bold prayer and let him pay for it. Like, I don't think that came into her mind, but God just overwhelmed her and said, not only are they going to spare his life, they're going to fund him growing up too. That's crazy. Can you imagine that walk back? So again, just look at this. <laughs> Princess hands with the baby. Oh, he's kind of cute. <laughs> like, and then trying to walk back, like walking Miriam's next to her, like hold it together, Miriam, hold it together. Don't, don't, don't. Now just, you know, you like turn a corner and just fall apart, just praising and crying and thanking God that he just did what he did. What a moment. What a moment. But <laughs> that's not the end of the story. There's a sweetness to that season, but it isn't permanent. And I wish it, part of me wishes it was. I, I wish that verse 9 was the end of Yaakov's part in the story, and you could say they lived happily ever after, but um, it's not. Verse 10 exists. And you can't gloss it over. I wanted to gloss it over. I wanted to be like, yeah, okay, this happened, but it's, it's real, and we have to lean into this one emotionally just as much as you'd lean into the rest of the story. So look at verse 10 with me. Later, when the boy was older... His mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. And the princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. So she has to give him back. She gives him up a second time. And uh, this is the part that bugged me. Many scholars believe that Moses is around four years old. They said, you know, she she would nurse him, potty train him, Preschool is about the time she'd bring him back. That messed me up, mostly because (laughs) I have a (laughs) four-year-old. I know what that little boy's hand feels like in my hand. I know what that feels like. I know what his little arms feel like when they wrap around my leg when he's scared. I know what that feels like. And I can't imagine, like, holding his little hand and walking him up some giant palace steps where I take one step and he has to kind of crawl up behind me and giving him away. I cannot imagine that. And I thought about that sacrifice and, 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 and this whole story where Yaakved's heart is now twice broken in this story. She had to give him up once and then she has to turn around and give him up again. And I thought, man, how could she do that? How could she have the faith, the courage to walk up those steps and hand that boy off to that princess? How could she do it? And I had to go back and say, man, okay, so in my life, as I've taken different steps of faith, what has happened for me is as, as you make one sacrifice in your life and God does something with it, the next time you have to make a sacrifice, you kind of have to remind yourself, hey, remember when God did that and how God took that sacrifice and transformed this one? Maybe he'll do it again. And then the next time you take another one, it's even better. And I think that's what Yaakved had to be preaching to herself as she walked up those steps. Last time I gave this boy up, you did the impossible You did the absolute impossible. Last time I put him in a basket, this time I'm putting him in the palace. What are you going to do with this one, Lord? What are you going to do with this one? And that is still a giant act of faith, but she at least had something to stand on and say, I've seen you move before. I want to see you move again. So to see what God did, you have to back way up because this is a crazy big sacrifice, a crazy big sacrifice. To give your son up is huge. How could God take that pain 
and transform it into something amazing. What possible reason could there be for such pain in her life? Well, here's the crazy part. God was planting Moses almost like an explosive behind enemy lines. Moses was about to receive 40 years of training in the halls of Egypt's royalty, training in leadership and administration, training he could experience nowhere else on the planet at the time. He was going to be trained for four decades to rule many, many people. And one day, many years from then, he would walk back into those very halls and demand Pharaoh let his people go. He would walk out of Egypt, a leader of an entire slave nation, trained by the very nation that had enslaved them. Tell me again, God cannot do the impossible. That God uses Egypt to train Israel's deliverer from Egypt. He pulled money out of their treasure to train the very guy who's going to pull them out of Egypt. Again, just like getting paid to raise your baby son, now God's going to use Egypt to be the agent of their own demise when it comes to holding Israel. God's plan for Moses was huge. So here's the principle. Here's the principle that I want you to learn from Yaakov. If you really do want to experience God moving in your life, whether it be miraculous or not, if you really want to experience a move of God, what I learned from Yaakov is the sacrifice is the setup. The sacrifice is the setup. If you want to see God move in a powerful way, the pathway to seeing God move is sacrifice. Yaakov uh, sacrificed two times and she saw God move in an impossible way both times. But here's the thing. Yaakov didn't know it, right? And, and by the way, I don't know that she ever saw the full extent of what God did with her son. I, I, I'm sure she, it doesn't, I don't know when she died, but she didn't get to see all that Moses did. The plan, the, the picture that God was painting was way too big for her to see the whole thing. And in that moment, when she put that baby in that basket, when she walked that four-year-old up those steps, in those moments, she did not know what God was going to do with that sacrifice. She didn't know. And that's what I want to say to you. You're not going to know. You're not going to know that your sacrifice is the thing that God's going to use to do something miraculous. You will not know. When you've been loving your spouse sacrificially, and they've been loving you selfishly, you won't know which sacrificial act God is going to miraculously use to open up their eyes and change their heart. You won't know which one it's going to be. You won't know when you've been lovingly and sacrificially parenting your children, you won't know which sacrificial act is going to stick in their little mind and actually going to change their future. You won't know. You won't know uh, when you've been giving sacrificially to God's mission on this earth. You don't know which dollar God's going to use to do something and turn somebody's eternal destiny. You won't know. The sacrifice in your life is a setup, but you won't see in that moment what God's going to do with it. That's where faith comes in. So I want to ask you, What do, you need, what, what do you need to sacrifice in your life? What area of your life is God nudging you to sacrifice? Be a sacrificial person, to give something up, to unwrap your fingers around. What is it that God's asking you to sacrifice in your life? Because only the things that you, you give to God 
can he transform. You know that, right? Only the things you lay at his feet can he do something with in your life. So what do you need to lay down? What do you need to lay down so God can change it? What do you need to lay down so God can multiply it? What do you need to lay down so God can transform it? What do you need to lay down for God to be able to do the miraculous with it? Whatever of your life have you been holding back from God? Now, God, I'll give you all that, but I'm not letting you have this. What area of your life are you holding back? Lay it down. Lay it down. Remember, Christian, we sacrifice because we follow the example of our God. Yaakovet is a great little foreshadowing story about how she gives up her son for a greater purpose and how God gives his only son for a purpose. And then Jesus making the ultimate sacrifice, giving up his life so we could live. Jesus dying innocently on the cross in her place for sins to give us a home in heaven and, and a relationship with God and mission and purpose in our life right now. We sacrifice in our life because God sacrificed for us. We follow his lead. Worship team, why don't you guys come back up here. I don't know what it is. And so listen, I, I had this image of somebody in the church like, like you're feeling like, like you're far from God. Like, and it wasn't, it wasn't an overnight thing. It wasn't some big thing. You just feel like I'm distant. Like I, there's, there's something between me and God, whether it's distance or something, I don't know, but you just don't feel like you're close to him. And I want to say, I think the big path back is to, is to open your heart up to just surrender to whatever God wants to do. And that's the scary part, right? Because some of you, God's bringing something to your mind right now that you're supposed to sacrifice and you don't even know what that means. God's bringing something to your mind. You're like, I don't, I don't know what, I don't even know how or what that means. And I want to say what God wants you, you to say is yes. He wants you to say yes before you even know what it means. He wants you to say yes before you even know what it is he's going to do with it. Because he's going he's gonna to use your willingness to do the miracle. So say yes, whatever area of your life. And the distance that you feel between God, man, surrender is the path back. Surrender. When you open up your heart, open up, wrap, unwrap your hands from on that part of your life, that's what God uses to draw you back to him. Satan can't have it anymore. He can't keep you anymore. And you get to actually come unrestricted into the presence of God because of the sacrifice Jesus made on that cross. Romans 12.1 says this, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him, a living sacrifice. That's supposed to be our lives, Christian. A life lived where you just sacrifice everything for God. You give it up to him. You surrender to him. So if you've, if you've never done that, if, if maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, maybe you've never accepted his sacrifice, man, I want to invite you to do that right now today. Don't walk out of here without accepting that sacrifice and being able to have an unbroken relationship with God. That's the only way. Maybe, maybe you already have, Christian, and, and you're experiencing this dry season right now. You can make a, a decision today to say, Lord, I, I'm, I'm opening up to you. I'm surrendering to you. What do you want from me? I say yes, Lord. I say yes before you even ask the question and start a new season with him right now. Take this song the worship team's about to sing. Take this song and, and rekindle that. Take this, take this time right now and just pray and ask God to move in your life. Open up your hands. Let's pray.
Jesus, I know, I know there's somebody in here feeling like they're far from you right now. I know there's somebody in here who's experienced a, a, a dry season. And Lord, I, I just pray for their heart right now that they would take even just a half step towards you to realize that you are not far at all. Lord, for that person who's got their fingers wrapped around some part of their life that they don't want to give to you, Lord, I pray that they would just know deep down in their soul that it's better to give it to you than to hold on to it themselves. I pray for a spirit of, of Yaakoved over this place, Lord, that we would sacrifice the big things in our life to see you move in crazy ways, Lord. That we would value seeing you move in an impossible way over the thing that we're holding on to. That we as a church would just be a church of sacrifice to see what you would do. That we would be so hungry for, for a move of your spirit that we would give anything to experience it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.